I'm not good at rent collections, that's probably because I just don't want to do it. I learned that I can focus on certain areas of real estate and I needed to turn over a lot of the pieces that I just don't want to deal with to other people. You're listening to The Life and Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, hey everyone. Annie Dickerson here together with the wonderful Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you today? I'm doing good. I am doing fantastic. I just had a weekend alone without the hubby and it was nice. Through COVID, it's been interesting because we've been around each other day in and day out for two years, nonstop pretty much. And so it's been interesting, but it was a nice little break. So do you have all your minions? I mean, your kids, Yeah, you know, all around the house cleaning (laughs) and while you were sitting, mom was sitting with her feet up and magazine in the fire. (laughs) It kind of was like that. It kind (laughs) of was like that. Yeah. No, but it was so funny because actually the day that we were today, when we recorded this podcast, my kids are outside the room and I went upstairs after the recording to see if they were, how things were going. And they were all sitting there, very obedient, had cooked their own lunch and everything, and were sitting down eating their lunch. So I guess it's a different world pre-COVID or post-COVID. I don't know. Where are we now? I don't know. But it's a different it's world. these days. Yeah. <laughs> they have to grow yeah. up so fast, make their own lunch. My goodness. <laughs> there you go. There you go. How are things over there in the Dickerson household? Oh, excellent. We were just talking before this podcast about how I finally got a chance to go shopping with my mom. It's not often these days I get to go shopping in person, touch things and try things on. It's always like you click a button online. Usually I do it through Instagram. I find some ad. I'm like, I have to have this thing right now and (laughs) and buy it. And it shows up at my doorstep days later. And I'm like, what is this? Oh, yeah. That late night random thing. Totally. Wait, I have a question. And maybe some of the listeners might understand this and have a similar problem. And if anybody has any solution to my problem, please feel free to email us and let us know (laughs) how you handle this because, okay, I shop a lot online and it sounds like you do too. And what happens is at my front door, there are boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes between the prepared food deliveries that come Amazon, oh, yeah. and mm-hmm. all the other things that come. I've got this like thing. My husband, yeah. like every two days, he's got to go and literally break down the boxes to fit everything. Oh, in so yeah. how do you guys manage that problem? Because I'm sure you have the, the boxes. Problem. Yes. You know what, actually? <laughs> so, okay. I mean, this is why funny I story. <laughs> funny story. So Kensington, the small town that I live in, which is is not incorporated. It's sort of part of Berkeley, but sort of has its own thing. So when we moved in here, we realized that Kensington didn't have standard garbage service. So they have a garbage truck that comes through, but everybody provides their own cans. And we were like, what? We moved here from Oakland. Oakland has a very regimented, right? (laughs) Berkeley has a very regimented. We're like, what do you mean? We have to provide our own trash cans. And everybody, trash cans are different sizes, different colors. Some have lids, some are what does this mean? Like, how do they know? And what they did was actually the guy would walk behind. There was one guy driving the garbage truck and one guy who would walk behind the truck and he would open up the lids of each of these cans and he would look in to see if it was garbage or recycling. And then he would manually pick it up 
and dump it into the trash can. So if it was too heavy, he wouldn't do it. Um, so, but I was calculating, I was like, okay, there's 5,000 people who live in Kensington. And I was calculating, I was like, wow, that's like hundreds of garbage cans that he's picking up every day and putting in there. But anyway, I digress because recently Kensington got its own garbage service. So now we have standard cans and I'm sure they were like, oh, these are what the arms on the garbage yeah. truck do because now yeah. I can do it with the click of a button. But well, that poor guy the one thing his job though. Yeah. Like they right. I mean the one thing that Kensington has done well throughout is you don't have to put your cardboard in the recycling bin. However much you have, you can tie it all up and put it next to wow. your cans. Okay. So all of our boxes, we just break down and sometimes there's piles of it, but we just yeah. tape it all together and they just take the whole lot. Oh my gosh. Well, there you go. So that's what you do. Look at you. We have a limited yeah. bin. That's the problem. Right. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. Come on over. You can come on to our side of the pond and <laughs> check out Kensington life. But um, anyway, I was going to think of a really clever transition to our guest, but with garbage trucks and cardboard, I don't know if there is one. Poor anyway, <laughs> for Jason. So our conversation today is with none other than Jason Kleiman. He is our director of investor relations and he's absolutely phenomenal. I still remember the first time that I talked to Jason on the phone and he mentioned one of his mantras, which is everybody wins. And he's just such a kind-hearted, compassionate soul. And he's always, always trying to create a situation where everybody wins. And in this conversation, he talks a little bit about his story and his upbringing and what has led to that mentality. It sounds like he wasn't always that way. That once upon a time, he was a young buck trying to make a name for himself and didn't care too much what other people thought or did or but along the way he's learned a lot of valuable life lessons and now as our director of investor relations he always tries to create situations where everybody wins well the other piece of that outside of the everybody wins when we first met jason was this word that means a lot to you and i and i think is the thing that one word that actually really brought you and i together and so when we met jason and he brought up this word maybe in the first conversation it was the everybody wins and it was also the word impact and when I met this guy, I was like, oh my gosh, like he, his values are right in alignment with me and you and the business and Good Egg and everything that we do there. And it continues to this day. And every decision that he makes as our director of investor relations is backed with impact. And I love that. And that it you know allows us through him to work with our investors to continue to make that impact because it's such a big, important goal for him to have in his life. And so it was so fun to dig into Jason's story and get to hear his background and all the fun stuff that he did before he became the wise man that he is today. So yeah, it was a great conversation. Indeed. And some of our listeners... 
you guys may have hopped on a call with Jason. You had the privilege to chat with him. And if you have, you know that he's such a lovely guy and just really down to earth and always open to sharing and very just, just comes from a good place. And so whether or not though, you've hopped on a call with Jason, if you are anywhere on your investing journey to invest in real estate, particularly through real estate syndications, we've got a great resource for you. It is our book. It's called Investing for Good. And we have a free hardcover copy for all of you. Just go to goodagginvestments.com slash book. All right. With that, let's dive into our conversation with Jason Kleiman. Jason, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. I'm great. A great morning here in Chicago. Indeed. Now, Jason, I can't tell you how thrilled we are to dig in with you today and share with the listeners a little bit more about your background and your experience, especially since many of our listeners have had the privilege and the honor of speaking with you in person as one of the key people on the Good Egg Investments team, who is by our investor's side every step of the way through the investment process. But Before we talk about exactly what you do within the Good Egg community and how you help our investors, I'm going to start with your personal story. So how did you get into this crazy world of real estate in the first place? Yeah, real estate. It was not an intention at the beginning. I I came out of of college and told myself I was going to be a salesperson of some sort. I just knew I could talk. I knew that I could get in front of people and that I could sell something. I didn't know any better. So I jumped in. I started selling right out of college copiers, copiers. This was a couple of years ago. So nothing was connected to the internet at that point. These were just simple copiers that you would put on some desktop somewhere. But it taught me a huge lesson on just human interaction. So I, I did that for a while. I was pretty successful with it. And it got to the point where I was a district manager at the age of 27. I didn't know what the heck I was doing, but I jumped in. And it was a good start. From there, I was recruited from the Midwest to go out to beautiful California, to Los Angeles. I went out and worked for a dot-com. This was in the late 90s when there was so much money floating around. Everybody came up with a good idea and we all believed that they were all going to work. The reality is almost none of them worked. But we went out there and had a good time. We had foosball tables. We played ping pong. We talked about great concepts and we tried really hard. So I lived that lifestyle for a while. The firm that I was with lost all of its money. So I had to recreate myself at the tender age of 28 and decided that I needed to explore some areas outside of traditional sales and the world of dot-com. I met a gentleman in Chicago that owned his own real estate firm, commercial real estate firm. He was doing tenant rep brokerage for office users. And we had a number of calls and I told him I wanted to come back to the Midwest, come back to Chicago where that was kind of my home. And he said, come work for me. I had no idea what I was jumping into. All I knew is that this world of commercial real estate had a lot of people that made a lot of money. So of course, I wanted to jump in. I did. And for the next three years, I made almost nothing, but I worked really hard and I started doing some transactions. And then I was recruited away from his company to one of the big powerhouses, the Trammell Crow Company, which was acquired by CB Richard Ellis, CBRE Group. And I became part of a major team doing corporate work all across the country. And I got to live the fun lifestyle of doing corporate real estate. It was great. It was amazing. I was working with some very smart people. I had all the technology in the world. And I was working for the largest company in the world 
in this space. So we could literally do anything for anybody. So it was a pretty good place to be. But I got to a point where brokerage just wasn't doing it for me anymore. I had gotten married, had a couple kids, and my life trajectory changed a bit. And I realized I wanted to do something that was a little bit more impactful. And that's when I got introduced to the world of investments, real estate investments. It took me a while to figure out where I could fit in. And I ended up moving to a company that was really more focused on investments than brokerage. I was able to do both at this company, but it opened my eyes to what the possibilities were. I started investing in one-off transactions with them within the organization. I also started buying up my own condos, which I would manage myself and lease out, which by the way, was a terrible venture, but I learned a lot from it. And then slowly we got to the point where we were able to raise a fund and we raised a significant amount of money. We targeted healthcare real estate and that took my life into a very different direction. It changed everything. It changed my perception on how real estate works, the impact that it can have on me, the people around me, my family, and it forever changed what I did every single day. So from there, I created my own investment firm. We continued to invest in one-off transactions and funds, did some multifamily, did some retail, did some healthcare. The healthcare business, by the way, ended up being one of the most profitable ventures that I've ever been part of. So that was fun. And the people that were invested with me, they loved it as well. It created where I am today. That was the evolution. And then I was faced with a situation where I was shutting down my firm because we were selling all of our assets, didn't want to restart my company. And then I met the two of you. And out of the blue, here we were. Now we're doing this whole thing at Good Egg Investments and couldn't be happier. I want to go back to one of the first things you said, which is even early on, you knew that you wanted to get into sales. You knew you were good in front of people. And it sounds like that skill set, I mean, obviously you've developed it over time as well, but it seems like it carried you through a lot. Tell us a little bit about that. Cause I think a lot of people have this perception of sales, like high pressure sales, like you're pushing somebody to do something, but it's so much more than that. So tell us a little bit about your perspective on sales. Yeah. To me, sales is a natural part of everything that we do. And I hear from people all the time, oh, I'm not in sales, or I'm not a salesperson. I don't put pressure on people to do anything. The reality is commerce happens through sales of some sort, whether it's a retail sale across a counter, or it's an attorney that's buying for his next client, or it's a real estate syndication where you've got to sell people on investing in that project. Sales is always there. The question is, do you make it so overt that you feel like the people that you're selling to feel like they're being pressured or put into a slot where they have to make a decision or else they're going to miss out on something. That's the tough part of sales. The other side is that sales tends to be, it can often go into a very individualistic mindset where it's all about the money. It's all about the profit. It's all about the commission or some kind of a return that somebody's going to get. So I went through all those stages within sales. Sales is a natural thing for me. I love connecting with people. It's a huge piece of who I am. But I went through the evolution in sales of saying, is it all about me? Is it all about what I'm going to make? Or is it about having impact on the people that I work with? And luckily, over a period of many years, I figured out the art of sales and the art of making sure that everybody wins. And that's where we are today. Sales is not something to be afraid of. It shouldn't be high pressure, but it's part of what we do. And it's part of what everybody does. Couldn't agree more. And so on top of sales... 
It seems like your skill set in growth and resiliency has been a big part of your journey as well. At multiple points in the story, you started almost at the ground level, and then you were part of this massive, yeah, yeah, massive growth. So, and over and over again, right? Mm -hmm. And so, tell us a little bit about what that's like. It must come with a bunch of challenges, but also it must be very rewarding. Yeah, I think there's a self-sufficiency piece to it that drives me as an individual. I like the ability to say, hey, I kind of created myself. I use every resource that I've always had. I mean, I'm an only child brought up by a single mother. That's my background. I think so highly of my mom because she created this life that really propelled me able to do going forward. She paid for my college. This was based on her going out there and being in pharmaceutical sales and doing exactly what needed to be done to create a lifestyle for she and I. And that got me started. But throughout my path, I've taken all the life lessons from her and people that were around me that supported me. I've had my share of failures. There have been projects that I've taken on that just didn't work. There have been situations that I've gotten myself into where not only have I been the beneficiary of something pretty negative, but the people that were with me were also a beneficiary of that negative impact. So it's kind of the way of it. When you're out there taking risks, not everything works. Hopefully, over time, most of the things that you're working on do tend to be positive, but along the way, you're going to hit some real bumps. In my case, I tell people all the time, I've had to recreate myself at least three times. I'm turning 50 this year. You don't live 50 years and when, with everything being positive. It's just, it, it's impossible. So I've had to recreate myself. I've had to dig myself out of a couple holes. And luckily, I've had good people around me that always supported me. And I think I've made some pretty smart moves over time. But the net net, it's pretty good. It's pretty positive. I lead a pretty nice life. I've got great people. My kids, they still love me. Great. And there's money in the bank. So overall, it's been positive. But for sure, I've had to recreate myself. What does your mom teach you about money and finances and success and real estate, if at all? What were my, some of those lessons mom? you remember? Yeah. <laughs> so, so I can tell you some of her background. Six foot tall woman from small town, Indiana, married a New York guy who was an artist, composer that had no concept or no real desire to focus on money. It was all about the art of creation. Brilliant man, but business was not his forte. He lived the other side of life. So she created this lifestyle for herself that was out of the norm. We ended up across the big pond in Paris for a number of years. By the way, that was my first language. It's been a long time since then. But we started life there, then eventually moved out to California and then moved back to the Midwest. In that move back to the Midwest, my mom had to recreate herself. She got into sales. She managed to get into, at first she was doing, she was selling seminars. So imagine like going to a company and saying, hey, bring your 15 best employees and we'll do a seminar on how to make their life better. She was selling those seminars. She had no sales background, but she jumped into that full commission sales. And so she'd be traveling all week. And during the week, I was living with my grandparents, her mom and dad in very small town, Indiana, a town of 300 people, very different than Chicago, but it worked. And then slowly she excelled and then eventually moved into pharmaceutical sales where life completely changed. That sales background that she got selling seminars allowed her to take that huge next step. I watched this whole evolution happen from this small town in Indiana where she went from driving a Honda Civic that she could barely afford to then all of a sudden having a company car to then having money in the bank to having a 401k 
to being able to pay for my college eventually, to being able to buy me all the little things that kids always want and desire. She was able to do all of it. A single mother that had no resources, she did it. So that's always been my inspiration. If she could do it, I sure as heck could. So I have every opportunity in front of me and I just have to make sure to grasp it and take it. But she's been a huge inspiration for me my entire life. She still continues today. Does your mom want to come work for us? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She loves taking a look at what I do every day and she loves talking about it. But uh, honestly, at this point, she just wants to be there as part of my life and share the time with my daughters and just be a grandma. And she's great at it. Oh, so, uh, she's, she's, uh, she's, she's retired, <laughs> I guess, is that what you're going to tell me? She actually got into real estate. She switched from, from pharmaceuticals and decided to take her, her kind of person skills and jump into residential real estate. So she did that for the last 12 years of her professional career. And then she just got to a point where she didn't want to do it anymore. And she still has referrals. She refers them to her old team, but she's pretty much retired. She's pretty cool. She sounds amazing. I got chills listening to you tell that story, especially, you know, after all of that, the struggles and the challenges of being a single mom and starting out, taking that huge risk, being commission only, not having the background, not having the experience and really making it for herself. And how amazing that she was, as you were talking about the Honda Civic and then the company car and then having money in the bank, like... Oh my goodness, the change in your lives. I mean, the transformation is just incredible. I remember her getting that first job. It was with Glaxo Pharmaceuticals. She went from this seminar selling organization to all of a sudden being in a position where she was going to take this really kind of almost cushy type of job selling to physicians, selling to hospitals and selling. Her main drug was a heartburn drug. And she was so inspired to jump into this thing. And it was almost like she couldn't believe that she got it. She had no real background in this and this company, and there was an individual that she ended up working for who became a huge piece of her life and also my life. He's since passed on, but her eventual boss really took her under his wing and said, I'm going to make this work for you, for me, for everybody. And that his name was Bill. Bill was a big, big piece of her success with that. And I remember when she took that job, life changed almost overnight. We went from being in an apartment with that Honda Civic in Upland, Indiana. Upland, Indiana is a great little place, but it's small. There's a small university there with 2,000 kids, but it is small town USA. So we went from renting a small apartment in Upland, Indiana with that Honda Civic to buying a beautiful condo, then a house in Fishers, Indiana, Indianapolis, with a company car, with all kinds of benefits and money. It was life-altering. And it was a huge, impactful moment for me. It's funny what money can do, right? Money a isn't everything. Bit, a little stability goes a long way, a long, right. long way. Yeah. I want to go back to something that you talked about earlier, because I'm pretty sure a lot of our listeners may have followed a similar trajectory along their investment career or timeline, I guess you can say, is you had mentioned that you got into investing alongside the company that you were working with, but that you also started buying condos and you were self-managing them, right? Mm -hmm. And Annie, I don't know, did you ever self-manage any of your rentals or did you? We did. We did. Not for long, but we did. So the worst phone call you can get is when somebody calls you up and says, Hey, the light bulb's out on the front porch. Yeah. Really? Great. We we had one guy call us. He was drunk and he's like, I'm locked out of my condo. And I'm like, 
seriously, dude, like you're going to call us because you got like, like call locksmith. Don't call us. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. But yeah, we had a nice arrangement. I was the leasing person and then my husband was the handyman. So that was like mm. how we did it for seven years. It was the worst torture ever. But I want you to give us some insight into that because I think there's a lot of people out there who may be listening and they may be considering buying single family homes or duplexes or smaller rental properties and not get into syndications because maybe they think that there's more money in rental properties, but then it becomes a question of time or money. And what do you have more of? And I was just thinking about this this morning. I'm going through evictions on two of my properties right now. Like it is no fun on like, it's the 80, 20 thing, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. I'm spending 80% of my time dealing with emails about like the tenant and moving in and moving out on like the 20% or less of like the money that's coming in. It's like the pits. Mm -hmm. So talk to us about that. What was that experience like? How many condos did you own? How long did you manage them? What were the headaches? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I'll tell you that the way I bumped into it was not with a conscious effort to get into condo ownership. It went from my wife and I had bought our first condo. Then we started having kids. So we bought the neighbor condo. Then we needed a nanny. So we bought another condo. And then you upgrade to a house or another place down the street. And then you buy another place. And before you know it, you've got five, six, 10 different condos that you're paying mortgages on and you're hoping to lease out. And that's exactly what happened with us. So it wasn't huge. We had, I think there were seven units at one point, uh, these condo units. But the tough part is in that world, I had no background in investment real estate at that point, but I had myself convinced that equity that I'm going to have by owning all these units and the cash flow that I'm going to have but from the rental stream and this and that was going to be so great. The reality was that the time and effort that went into just managing those few condos was ridiculous. I was constantly going back to those. And that, luckily, they were all in one building. So I was able to encapsulate that in. But I was constantly going there, dealing with management, dealing with the tenants, chasing people down for their rent, the whole thing. And it just became overwhelming. And the reality was, I didn't make that much money on it. Condos, when you're buying them individually, they have these things called HOA fees oh, yeah. and <laughs> assessments and all kinds of things. And you know, I tried to stay on the board with the condo building, but at the end of the day, you just couldn't manage around the fees and I couldn't charge high enough rent to truly take care of everything. So at the end of the day, you know, I had some write-offs. I had a little bit of cash flow. I had some growth and equity over time, but it wasn't great. And once I finally sold everything, I looked at the total picture of it and said, this was not a great venture. It was a ton of work and I really didn't make that much money. So, yeah, I felt good about it. I can tell you that I get together with people out in the business world. They'd ask me what I was doing with my free time. Like, oh, I'm a real estate investor. Uh, I'm involved in condos and I'm doing this. And from an ego perspective, you say, yeah, I'm doing something really great. Yeah. But the reality of managing that was insane. And I didn't even do it on a large scale. It was very small, but it took a huge amount of my time. So you were on a net negative in cash flow or? No, no, no. We were positive. You were positive. Uh, yeah, but the positive stuff, the mortgages got every single month, whether or not people paid their rent, I still had to pay the mortgage. And every single month, whether or not people paid their rent, I still had to pay the monthly assessment fees back to the management company. And sometimes the renters aren't the best. Sometimes there's delays and the cash would flow out and you'd hope that the inflow would match up, but many times it didn't. So I would often find myself in a negative place, at least temporarily, where I'd say, gosh, this month I spent 
$12,000 and I'm waiting for $18,000 worth of income, but it's not there. Mm -hmm. So the net net, again, was positive, but along the way, very difficult to work with. What lessons did you learn in owning your single family homes and the condos? Well, these were condos. Yeah. I, I never really bought any single family homes, but the condos, the lesson that I learned was I need to get into more sophisticated type of real estate. I need to be in projects that have more scale, that have true professionals that are managing them. And I needed to get myself out of the way of doing the day to day. I'm good at a lot of things, but I'm not good at fixing stuff in a unit. I'm not good at managing things, doing actual property management. I'm not good at rent collections. It's probably because I just don't want to do it. I learned that I can focus on certain areas of real estate and I needed to turn over a lot of the pieces that I just don't want to deal with to other people. We'll get back to our conversation with Jason in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid, like we were, that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now back to our chat with Jason Kleiman. And so that transitioned into some initial healthcare investments and multifamily investments. They were just one off. And I started investing just incremental dollars into other people's deals. And then I started to realize, hmm, I can actually see cash flow without doing any work. While you sleep. Yes. Yeah. I had myself convinced that the only way that I could truly maximize my profits is if I was doing the work myself. Mm-hmm. And for a while, I was fully convinced of it. I said, you know, it's painful, but I just need to work through it. And eventually it's going to work out. And it didn't. And so the happiest day was when I finally sold my last condo unit and said, I'm done. I am walking away from it. Yeah. By that point, I had my other investments that were going and the cash flow is fantastic. Yeah. And Annie knows what that feels like. Are you guys completely out or no? 
Not yet. We are in the process of selling all of the fourplexes that we purchased in Huntsville, Alabama. Mm. And oh, it feels good. It feels good to be. Out. I mean, I did a I did a study at one point. I took the four months of my property management and I have a property manager, right? It's not like I'm self-managing. I took four months of my property management statements and compared them to what I was getting on the syndication side. And yes, there was one month out of the four where my rental properties beat out my syndications, but one out of four, there was one that where it was actually in the negative. I had to put more money in and two where it was about the same. And so why am I doing all of this extra work if I can get a nice, stable, steady return over here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a lesson. I think we all tend to go through that from time to time. I still today have people that come to me because they know I'm in the real estate world and they'll say, hey, I'm going to buy such and such and it's going to spit off this kind of return. And it's right in the neighborhood and we can manage it together. We don't have to hire a third party and we can do this, we can do that. And I have to look at them every time and say, I have zero interest. The brain damage and the amount of effort that goes into putting that together, it's never worth it. And everybody's got an example of, oh, Bob or Jill bought XYZ property and they killed it and they made a 10 times return and they managed everything themselves. They did their own construction. They did this, they did that. But those are the extremes. And the reality is that in most, in most real estate ventures that are self-managed, barely make a profit. Yeah. I love it. Yes. Oh man. The stories of single family home and ownership and all of that. I still remember too, when I made my first investment into a syndication, it was, wow. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I've ever told you that story, but one day just money was in my bank account. And I was like, where did this money yeah. come from? Didn't even know what deal it was or what venture it was. And I was like, now this is the kind of money I need to be making. Not okay. the kind where it's like, where's that $200 from that rental income that came exactly. in after I paid my rent? Like, <laughs> and, and that's the reality of, of self-managing a bunch of small properties is you're scraping for every $100. And the idea of being a real estate investor, it doesn't seem to really makes sense when you're talking about $100 at a time. The idea is that the dollar should be much larger. And when you're out there chasing every single dollar, it kind of negates the magic of being involved yeah. in real estate. It's just it's yeah. not what we're looking for. Now we have a few minutes left before we transition. I want to ask a quick question. So you're our director of investor relations here at Kadeg Investments. That's and you right. talk with a ton of investors and mm -hmm. you were so lucky to join us at the point at which we had an open deal. And so over the first <laughs> month, at least you said your phone was nonstop ringing and you were chatting on the phone all the time and you were just blown away. But tell us for people who are might not be an investor with us right now, what what are some of the questions that you're getting from investors to give other investors an idea of the types of questions that other investors might be concerned about, particularly our investors? What are some of the discussions that you're having? Talk to us a little bit about that. You're right. When I first joined up, I had no idea what I was running into. I mean, I've got plenty of experience working within these kind of syndications, but I had never experienced it from this angle. So now all of a sudden I was put into, and very quickly, by the way, you guys gave me a ton of rope from the second that I joined up with you. And the spigot was turned on and the phone started ringing. We opened up our first real offering. And before I knew it, I had stacked up with calls all day long. And this was over a holiday break where most people weren't working, but yet 
I was on the phone the entire time. By the way, my kids thought it was kind of ridiculous, but it was a lot of fun. And the conversations were usually, it was a mix of investors who had experience with GoodEgg, but also a lot of new investors that came into the fold. So I had the luxury of being able to talk to them about what investing in a syndication really means and what the benefits are. And a lot of those conversations, they had no idea. They'd never been involved in this. So they didn't understand how preferred returns work. They didn't understand how the split would work with the general partnership. They didn't understand what the exit return meant versus distributions. They sure didn't understand what depreciation meant and how they could take advantage of that on their taxes. So we had a lot of these types of educational conversations where people really spent significant time with me just understanding it. And what happened almost every single time is that by the end of the conversation, you almost felt like you were friends with these people. They didn't know me from anybody, and I didn't know them from anybody. But you spend 15, 20, 30 minutes with people, and you've kind of changed their life in a very short period of time because they see how they can put their money to work. And, and by the way, these are all people that have worked really hard in their lives. They're normal people. They're not investment houses. They're people that have just done well with their lives, and now they've got some money, and they want to make it work for whatever lifestyle they want to choose. So the idea that we could come in and actually help them redistribute that wealth in a different way and create some kind of a cash flow in a way that they had never dreamed, it's life-changing. And that's what I get to do every single day. And so these conversations, it's not just about, oh, we're going to give you a return of 20% or 15% or whatever it is. No, my conversations are all about changing people's lives. Who knew this is what I was going to be doing? I, I met you. I met you two out of the blue, and now I find myself on on phone calls literally every day, talking about life, mm -hmm. talking about what people want to create for their long term. I have people share stories with me that are unbelievable. Whether they're selling their business, they're having more kids, they're deciding to retire, they want to take a trip or a cruise. They share everything, and again, they don't know me. Yeah. But we talk about their life. We talk about what they want to create. And it's fun. Mm -hmm. It's fun because it's inspiring. You get to hear their life stories. And you get to hear a lot about what we've been able to do to help them in that journey. Yeah. It's great. So funny, Annie. See all the fun that you're missing out on? She was yeah. like, at the beginning, she's like, I don't want to take those investor calls. And that's the magic that I would feel every time I hopped on the phone with someone. It was like, I literally felt like I was changing their lives, giving them an opportunity, sharing something with them that they had no idea about that can help them quit their jobs or spend more time with their family. And it was just like impactful for me. And I remember when we first met, probably in our first, maybe second conversation, you had talked about impact. And you had talked about how everybody wins. And then that was like so central to who Jason was. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this guy, we need to work with him. It was just like, it was because it's everything that we talk about, right? And in what we do. And it's all about making an impact. We, Annie and I don't do this for the money. I get up every morning, get to put my two feet on the ground because I know I'm making an impact. It's the only reason I spend time away from my three kids who are outside of my door right now by themselves because daddy's on a snowboarding trip right now. And I'm here doing this work because I want everybody in the audience to learn about what we're doing and make that impact. And so I totally feel you on that. It's so fun. So fun to get to have well, One quick comment that you brought up. So one of my life mantras, and this has been developed over the just past few years, is that phrase, everybody wins. Mm -hmm. I say this to everybody. And most people look at me and they're like, what do you mean, Jason? What do you mean everybody <laughs> wins? Well, the reality is if you lead your life in the right way, everybody can win whether it's a co-investor or it's a client or it's somebody you bump into at Starbucks, 
you can have that impact and make sure that everybody wins in some way. And so I try to live my life that way. I talk about it with my kids. I talk about it with relatives. I talk about it with friends. I'm not perfect. I mess up every single day. But overall, I want everybody to win. My life was not always that way. I was in sales, focused on commissions, focused on trying to create as much wealth as I could possibly create. And that's empty. And I realized that at a young age. And so I completely changed my trajectory. And I live by this, that I truly want everybody around me to win. I try to live it every single day. I love it. Well, oh my gosh, Jason, we're so lucky to have you with us on the team. And our investors are so lucky to have you with us as well. Your energy, your insight, your background has contributed so highly to everything that we do. And I feel like our values are so much in alignment. And so we're so blessed and lucky to have stumbled upon you that day. I think I got an email in my inbox from some guy named Jason Kleiman, like a long email about like, you know, how we needed to talk. And I was like, all right, let's chat. And here we are. So blessed and lucky. All right. Well, we're going to move into the last part of our show, the Life and Money Show Spotlight Round, where we're going to ask you a couple of questions around life and money. So the first question is around your life and money. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to live a meaningful and intentional life by design? The biggest thing for me right now is making sure that I focus on my priority buckets in my life. Everybody's got different ones. It's taken me years to really understand that. And those priority buckets, they're immovable. These are huge for me. It has to do with my kids. It has to do with my mom. It has to do with some other family members. But those are the immovable pieces. So when I think about a life by design, it's about making those priorities first and foremost. And I have to wrap everything around that. And one of the fun things about what happened when I met you two is that you guys were able to crystallize it for me. I had always thought of it in this way, but I had never really put my arms around it and embraced it in the way that you guys had. You shared this little phrase, this simple phrase of life by design. I had never put words to it before, but there it was. And all of a sudden I found myself talking to friends and family about this concept of life by design and saying, this is real. I've got a CEO who lives this lifestyle where she's got her kids at home. She travels all the time. She's remote. She's doing this. She's doing that. And she seems to be able to do it all. Her co-founder lives the same kind of life with her kids. She does exactly what she wants to do, what she needs to do for her family with her loved ones. She embraces it. And yet she's able to manage an entire company with nearly a billion dollars in assets. Crazy. How do you do that? I never knew that it was possible. So for me, it's about creating those priority buckets, living with intentionality around them, and then wrapping everything else to meet the priorities of those buckets. One of the big things for me right now is trying to figure out how to be more engaged with my kids on a day-to-day basis. Right now, we live two states apart. It's only an hour and a half, but still, it's two states apart. And I'm trying to redesign my life so I can be there and be a more vital piece of their life on an everyday basis instead of just on weekends or every other week. That's a piece that's only been developed for me since meeting the two of you. It's been a big change for me. It's a different way of thinking, but it's living intentionally and making that a huge priority. Yeah. And I love this. I love this because, Annie, because of what you and I created, we're going to help Jason be able to make an impact in his own life with his family. And, you know, it's wild. Like, this is for us. Everybody wins, like, from our coaching program to everybody on the team to each other. I mean, even if you get into the apartment side and the residents that live there and the apartments we're renovating and the communities we're changing, I mean, it's just. 
impact everywhere. And so I love that. And I love that you're being intentional about this because these days can slip by so quickly. And I hold on. It's like, I feel like I'm holding on so tightly to my kids. And I just feel like the days just seep through my fingers. And I feel like one of these days they're going to be gone and the house is going to be quiet and I'm going to be really sad. (laughs) So I love that you're being intentional about all of this. So, all right. Well, second question is around others' life and money. So what is one life or money hack that you can share that will make an impact in others' lives right now? Read. Take it all in. Soak it up. There's so much information out there. You don't need to sit blindly in your house and wonder how other people do it. Read publications. Read books. There was a point when I was still out there in copier sales and trying to understand what I was going to do with my life, knowing that I had seen some early success, but I knew that that wasn't the path that I wanted to go. And I'd heard about this thing called real estate. Uh, This was before jumping into corporate real estate. And I read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Ever heard of it? Of course, everybody has. It was the little purple Bible. Yeah, (laughs) it was the first foray into the idea of, gee, I could do something different. And it really got my mind going in that direction. And it's completely changed my trajectory. So the big life hack is be a sponge. Everybody wants to share. And if you find people like us, who truly believe in this thing of everybody wins, guess what? The education is free. We'll share our knowledge. We're not out there just trying to hoard what we know and what we've gleaned over the years for our benefit. Sure, we're going to profit because we've set our lives up that way, but we want other people to profit and benefit alongside of us. So be a sponge, learn as much as you can, take advantage of other people's knowledge, and just be a friend and make sure that you live that lifestyle like what I've been talking about where everybody wins and you can pass it on and then everybody will win. It's just the progression. Yeah. It's funny because I feel like that's everything that Annie and I do. It's like absorb, learn, teach. It's like what we do. It's like we absorb all this information. And we were just talking about this yesterday because we're working on a behind the scenes project for finance and money with kids and things like that. I was saying it's like almost our responsibility, right? We know this now. We've consumed this information. We've fed our our minds through. I used to sit, I commuted three hours a day before. So 15 hours a week, I was in the car. That was my time to listen to podcasts, listen to audiobooks, feed my mind. By my nightstand, I have like a whole stack of books because that's what we do. We were doing that here at Good Egg too. We haven't done that this year, but last year we had a book of the month within the team. It's, I mean, Mm -hmm. like there's so much to learn always. And as long as you have the mindset of that, there's so much to always learn. It's so fun. Even jumping into this business, I was like, if at the end of the day, I make no money, there's so many skill sets that I would have learned over that time in how to build a business, how to run a business and how to work with people and all these kinds of things. So I love that. Feed your mind, feed your mind. Absolutely. All right. Last question is around life and money in the world. So what is one thing that you're doing right now, Jason Kleiman, to make the world a better place? (laughs) (laughs) Make the world a better place. I think it's got to go back to the whole everybody wins thing. I know it sounds maybe ethereal or a little crazy, but I work really hard at making sure people feel good when they interact with me. And I'm telling you, it's down to the people at the Starbucks window. If I go into a fast food place or if it's at the kennel when I drop my dog off for a night when I'm traveling somewhere, I interact with people. I go to basketball games for my one daughter. I go to gymnastics stuff for the other daughter. I talk to everybody. I smile. I want to have a positive impact on all those people that interact with me. It's a big piece of me. And I think I've seen all the worst parts of people 
and I want nothing to do with it. This business, the real estate business is full of jerks. There just are. And it's because there's so much money in it. And that's okay for certain people's lives. I don't want it. Sure, I want to be profitable. But at the same time, that impact piece is critical for me. And so I try to do it every single day. And I think it shows. The feedback that I get from family, from my kids, from my best friends, people like being around me and I like being around them. I'm a connector and it's a big piece of who I am. And so my impact on the world, that's it. I want people to have a little bit of a a better framework and feel like they came away with our interaction in a more positive place than where they began. People don't remember what you say, but they remember how you make them feel. And if I could pinpoint one of your superpowers, Jason, I would say that you have this uncanny way of disarming people with your kindness, with your genuine nature, with everything that you're all about. You're able to get people to shed that armor and really get to the core of who they are. And I think that's why we love, love, love having you as part of the team and why our investors love talking to you as well. So speaking of which, tell everyone if they listen to this conversation, they're interested in learning more, following up, or maybe hopping on a call with you, what's the best place that they can go? Well, the easy thing is to email us. They can always email at investorrelations at goodegginvestments.com. That's the easy one. Or you can call or text anytime at 888-830-1450. Annie, you're going to have to make sure that I got that That's one. That's right. We are technology-based. We're always accessible. And if you call the number, you can even put a time directly on my calendar or somebody's calendar within the Investor Relations team. We're accessible every single day. We'll make ourselves available so we can answer questions or just chat about investments and what it means to your lifestyle. It's what we do every day and we love doing it. Jason Kleiman, real estate investor, devoted father of two, key member of the Good Egg Investments team, and as you all can tell, just a fantastic human being. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Jason. You've been listening to The Life & Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life & Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of this show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations. 